Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's episode, Steve Austin is on the show. Steve is a fascinating man with a very unique and important skill. He is a certified professional dog trainer who specifically does canine detection training for a host of causes of which conservation is dear to his heart. Renowned worldwide to name a few projects over his 30 plus year career, he's lectured at American law enforcement agencies, trained Australia's first truffle detector dog, taught animal training at Sydney's Taronga Zoo and bomb detection in Kathmandu. His resume is extensive and Steve is in high demand, but he was very warm and welcoming to me and I was able to catch him on the phone in Canberra before he flew out to Africa with his dogs to help fight against poachers for rhino conservation. So listen in, he's a one of kind and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Chloe. How are you going? Good. You got it now? Yeah, we'll just go from here. So that's all um, fabulous. Cool. Thank you for your time. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm oh, fine. Thank you, Chloe. Fine. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm in the middle of reading your book, and it's great It's great reading. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's yeah. Good. You're, good. <laughs> you've lived a fascinating life, and I'm glad that we can connect here. To start off Thank with, you. yeah, can you tell us a little about yourself and what you do? Well, um, I, I suppose dog-wise, um, I started getting involved with dogs in my mid-twenties, and I started to get involved with a dog called Sunny, a beautiful border collie, who became uh, to the title of Australian Obedience Champion. Mm. He won many big events uh, during his career which included um, all forms of obedience and tracking, mm. plus a lot of TV work, a lot of TV commercials. And that right. was the instigation to uh, the whole process of, the, of my, um, wow. my dog uh, career, uh, involved with a lot of um, dog training club, with my dog training club, Southern Shire Dog Training Club, mm-hmm. became chief instructor. And it basically went from there, Chloe, from yeah. one thing to another, to field trials, and then I got involved with the government and trained government dogs, and now I'm training dogs in Africa next week, which is really yeah. cool. Yes. What an amazing um, kind of career, spanning lots of things. Yeah. Is Sonny the Jack Russell? Uh, Sonny was a border collie. Ah, uh, border, border collie. A border collie, yeah. Mm. And um, had a few border collies, but now... Concentrating much on the conservation side of things, and yes. we're using working line springers and working line cockers to um, a really big successes. Yes. Anything from fighting um, um, underground water leaks to rare and endangered species like the plains wanderer, which is a bird, probably yes. the rarest bird in Australia. And now I've just got another job coming up, maybe looking like finding uh, where effluent. 
uh, is leaking into the water systems and going into the ocean, and we're going mm. to train dogs to find out where those where those um, processes are occurring. So wow. it's been a very uh, wide and uh, various um, detection type uh, world. So the application for these detective dogs is broad, and you're still learning how you can use them. Mm. So yeah, well that's right. I was, I was national trainer for the federal government, and they've got biosecurity dogs at one stage. Yeah. Numerous dogs all over the country, plus Caledonia, Japan. Yeah. And um, th- that was interesting because the, the, the target odors were very wide, a plant, fruit, meat, live bird, bees, all sorts of things. Mm. But now, um, when I've moved on further, we've gone into the conservation side of things, and that's finding in, uh, very invasive weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is the hawkweed, and finding very rare animals like the plains wanderer, and now finding underwater pipes, and now uh, leaky oh, pipes, and now uh, training dogs to um, help save the rhinoceros and the elephant from being wow. poached into extinction, which is um, a very close and dear thing to um, my yeah. psychic, and I, I really want to make that happen before I hang up the lead, so to speak. Yeah, brilliant. I think um, I'll have to ask more about your Africa trip coming up. But you mentioned... Mm. Pipes underwater. Can dogs smell underwater? To clarify, dogs can. Well, dogs can smell underwater for sure. Uh, FBI in um, in the United States used dogs to find underwater uh, bodies. And, you know, bodies that have been dumped wow. in the water. You know, for one purpose or another, usually illegal purposes, of course. Right. Or, or cars that have been dumped with bodies in them. So yes, the odor can come up through the water. Right. But the dogs that I'm training are dogs that are finding leaky pipes, leaky mm. pipes under the ground, uh, and that is above ground water or above rainwater. So they've got to find the chlorinated water. Mm-hmm. And why it's so important is because the leak can turn into a major catastrophe with roads falling in, houses falling down, trees falling down, etc. So by finding the leak at an early stage, they can fix it and save um, much damage and much money uh, to the uh, to the commissions, the water commissions that the dogs are being employed to, to work with. Wow. And so are they on land with water beneath them or are they on dinghies on, on water when they're sniffing? They're on land and the pipes are under, under the ground and yeah. they're finding leaky, leaky pipes. Wow. Because, because the leaking the leaking pipes um, over a period of weeks, yeah. months, years, uh, you know, the ground just falls apart and yes. everything on top of the ground goes down the big hole. Goes so on with it. certainly don't want that happening. Mm. And so what is involved and roughly, it's probably a, a hard question to answer, how long does it take to train a dog to smell things? But what's involved? Well, eight weeks of eight weeks is the initial training process. Eight eight weeks um, minutes minutes would wouldn't be that many minutes if per day maybe you know, thirty to to two or three hours a day depending. But mm. see, on top of that, you've got to you've got to get the dog into the field. You've got to get the scent. You've got to um, get the dog out and and working not only in the training environment but also in the real world and the real world is a lot different than the training environment Mm. so it's easy to train a dog to find a narcotic or an explosive in a training shed but to go out and find it um in a bag going onto a plane or or, you know in a in a building or, or whatever it may be that's a whole different story so you've got to condition your dog first of all to find the odor 
Secondly, mm-hmm. to discriminate between all the other odors that are around and then take the dog into the field. So wow. I, I look at it like probably you're looking at six months to 12 months to get the dog what's called field proficient. Yep. And once the dog is field proficient, then it starts to really um, come to its own, uh, mm. uh, come into its own type of, type of thing. And how do you assess if a dog will be a good detector dogs? Are there certain breeds that you like to work with or certain backgrounds? The, the, breed, the breed really um, is important, yet it isn't important. Uh, for example, the, 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 the ability of the dog to scent will be the most irrelevant part of what I'm looking for in a dog because all dogs have an extremely good sense of, of scent and mm. smell. So, you know, whether it's a, a greyhound or whether it's a chihuahua, they all have the ability, mm-hmm. the ability to use their nose. It's the willingness to want to use it is, oh, is, is okay. the key. So we're, look, we're looking for a very much high drive dogs with a high reward drive and a very high hunt drive. Mm-hmm. And the hunt drive is the dog, the willingness to go out and find things. So right, yeah. we're using working line spaniels and working lines, uh, cocker spaniels and springer spaniels at the moment, mm-hmm. and, and, and working line dogs as opposed to the dogs that are bred for the show ring, which are mm-hmm. um, nice-looking dogs, maybe but they haven't got much ability to do much else. So the, we, we look for function, which dictate the form. We don't look for form dictating the function. So if it's a, mm. if it's a good hunting dog on pheasant or rabbit or whatever, we can turn the rabbit and the pheasant into narcotics or, or endangered mm. species or whatever we want to. And that's the, the willingness for the dog to go out and find things, the drive of the dog to hunt wow. is the most important thing. Yeah, and then I guess there's different individuals amongst the breed, and can you tell pretty quickly whether a dog's worth investing in the program? Oh, yeah, we ha- I have a test that we do, and, and we we, um, yeah, we throw a ball or a toy or food or whatever the dog wants to get into some long grass, mm-hmm. and there's a process on what I do to see how long that takes the okay. dog to find it. And if the dog continues to search for it when it becomes very difficult, Yep. And then that's the dog I would like to use because of the willingness of, like I said before, the yeah. willingness of the dog yep. to want to hunt and and to ha- and to have that effervescent spirit to think yeah. it's always going to turn up. It's going to turn up any minute, and we don't want dogs to go. Oh, well, it's not here. So <laughs> I'll go to sleep now. We want a dog. That- so yeah. hyperactive ADD dogs. Yes. Um, those kind of animals are the ones we want. Very yeah. very. A bad pets, but very, very good working dogs. <laughs> and it looks like they're having fun. I saw the video of Molly, the spaniel, locating birds at Dubbo Zoo, and she yeah, was really yeah. um, loving the ball and was very driven by it. I was, I, I, I had the question: Do you, do you prefer play and toys over treats for reward, or, or it's whatever the dog wants? I let the, yeah, I let the dog decide that, Chloe. Mm. I, I, I don't really care. Yep. what I use per se, but it's not the decision that I make, and it never yeah. should be the decision. Mm. It should be the decision that dog makes, and whatever the reward that the dog wants is the reward yep. that you should use, and that reward then becomes sacred to its work. Mm-hmm. So it's never given to the dog unless it's working, and that makes the reward yep. higher value. And when you use the positive reinforcement as a reward yep. and the negative punishment as the punisher, so in other words, if it makes a mistake, all you do is yep. you withhold the reward. Yeah. So by withholding the reward is a punishment. Yeah. Uh, and but the dog doesn't really understand that as a punishment. He just says, "Well, I'll just try harder next time and yep. find the odor." And and that's how you de- you develop 
a really strong mm. and willing and happy detective dog. But no positive punishment, no 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 physical correction is given to the dog. Yeah. It's just that we withhold the reward if he makes a mistake. And then dog and then the dog always wants to try. The dog mm. always wants to try again and try again. Yeah. And, I mean, do you find that driven dogs want toys or not necessarily? Some very driven dogs want treats. It, it's much of a muchness yeah, then. Yeah, uh, well, that, that's right. I mean, it doesn't, it, it really shouldn't matter and it doesn't matter. Mm. I think a lot of agencies and a lot of people around the world go, oh, well, you know, the dog I had before was a good food dog or the dog I had before was a good bulldog, so mm. this dog should be a good bulldog or a good food dog or a good tug toy dog. <laughs> I think you've really got to look at each dog as an individual, yep. assess the dog as an individual, and whatever turns that dog on, that yeah. dog. I mean, you might like the opera, Chloe. You might <laughs> like rock and roll. I exactly. Don't know. Yep. So whatever you like the best, then I say, Chloe, if you cook me a nice dinner, I'll <laughs> take you to a rock and roll concert. Or if you cook me a nice dinner, Chloe, I'll take you to an opera yeah. concert. I don't know. But I would ask around, I'd, I'd test you out, I'd take you to the rock and roll concert, I'd take you to the opera concert, I'd take you See to the rock concert. <laughs> and whatever one you like the most, that's the reward yeah. you get when you cook me a nice dinner or whatever, you yeah. know, whatever the behaviour that I want. <laughs> you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must be um, endlessly rewarding. Do you enjoy your work? I can't wait to get up in the morning. I can't. I don't. I don't sleep much. I sleep probably four, five hours because Whoa. I'm too busy. Yeah. I, I. I think that. Um, you know, you know. I mean, in, in a in a sense of of deep thought, I suppose too many people these days leave it to someone else to do something. I, I pick up my rubbish. I, mm-hmm. I. I think that everyone has a should have an obligation to make the, the whole place better. And um, always with my conservation work, I, I, I look at it and say, if I help save one rhinoceros, I help save mm. one endangered species, that's better than not saving it. If yep. I can put, you know, one fox or one feral cat out of the picture, that means it's not going to eat any of our native animals that night. And it all helps in the long term. So mm. I find it so rewarding to help in the conservation of our species and of our land. And if, if I figure that if everyone did a little bit, um, it's going to be a much better place. And that's the way how I look at things, or, you know, probably, you know, in my whole world. Every, mm. every time I, I try to do something, I try to make it a better place around me and around my friends. Oh, that's fantastic. And I bet the dogs feel driven with you and feel like a team. And mm. <laughs> I'm very interested in your conservation detection dogs. Can you tell us a bit more about that specifically? Um, sure. Sure. Well, probably the biggest success in Australia's history to date is um, the way that, the, that we saved Macquarie Island from basically destruction. Mm. Uh, there was Macquarie Island is a sub-Antarctic island. Uh, it's about a day sail from Antarctica and about four days sail from Hobart. Mm-hmm. And um, with the help wow. of the Tasmanian <laughs> government and the yep. federal government, um, they decided uh, to, to rid the island of rabbit, rat and mouse. Now, what was happening, particularly with the rabbit, the rabbit was eating the island away and eating all the plants which are endangered, mm-hmm. which, which protected endangered species of birds in particular. And when the plants go, um, Macquarie Island nearest, you know, on the right-hand side, we've got South Africa. On the left-hand side, we've got 
South America and there's nothing in between. So mm-hmm. the wind basically would have taken the topsoil away in maybe 20, 30 years there would have been no no soil, no soil, no plants, no plants, no no birds, no birds, no protected species. The whole thing would have went down the drain. Wow. So, so with the help of um, some fantastic people, um, a gentleman called Keith Springer was our program manager, and we had a fantastic steering committee made up of um, men and women from the federal government and the Tasmanian government. Uh, we all got together and with helicopter pilots, we poisoned the island and got rid of the rabbit and with some very good dogs training and some very good dog handling we got the last 20 rabbits off that island wow and the most important thing to remember with those last 20 rabbits is that if they were left there <laughs> in five to ten years you know what happened yeah rabbits feed like rabbits and we're all back to square one again so it was a it was a project mm. that required eradication of the rabbit mm-hmm. not not control so from hundreds of thousands of rabbits, a hundred thousand, who knows, there was so many that, that wow. basically couldn't count them. And every single rabbit got removed, every single rat and every single mouse was a byproduct of, of that as well. Wow. So now after a few more after a few years, Macquarie Island now is back to how it was two hundred oh. years ago. And it's a credit to the government of both Tasmania and Australia wow. to put their money and effort to get that island back to square one. And that was sort of the start of the where dogs are really were used in this country for conservation wow. in a larger sense, and now it's grown uh, immensely, and I'm very lucky to be involved in it uh, the way I am at present. Yes. I guess the news spread that this was so effective at making the natural world flourish, and it sounds yeah. like it could not have been achieved without the work of the dogs. Um, well, but yeah, the dogs were very important, but so was the uh, so was the planning, yep. so was the, um, uh, the, the the cook, the, the chef at the island, <laughs> so was the, the the plumbers and the electricians, yes. so was the guy who flew the helicopter. I mean, everybody in, involved in Macquarie Island wow. had a very very important role. Wow. And yeah, the dogs were important, but the dogs were part of a, a magnificent team, yes. and that magnificent team helped save the island. And, and uh, the dogs now are on Australian stamps. Uh, yeah. The individual dogs are, are on they? Australian stamps. So I think, yeah, if you look at the, if you go to the, uh, go, to, go to do a Google and you, you look at the dogs that say Macquarie Island stamp set, you'll see it. Oh. And it's a fantastic stamp set. And I think probably, and I don't quote me per se, but I'm pretty sure it's the only stamp set in Australia that has specific individual dogs on oh. it as, as they, those were the dogs that actually did it and, oh that's uh, such a kind tribute yeah. to them that's a, a very very thoughtful one. Yes. one yeah um mm. and you know how did the practicality of it work like because these animals can burrow so would dogs smell them through their tunnels and sort of indicate that we need to go digging or we need to mm. camp out to get these yeah. last guys mm. Yeah, well, the dogs would, would detect the dogs, so they would indicate that there was a rabbit in that hole or a rabbit in that area. Mm. And then the hunters would sit down with, um, with firearms, traps were set or poison was dropped, and a whole lot of effort was put in to get that individual rabbit. Yeah. So the dogs gave us an area where to concentrate in and uh, indicated where the rabbit was, and then we put all those all, all that effort into that area, and that's how uh, we we eradicated the rabbit off the yeah. island with the help of the dog. And as, as a quick death, you know, rabbit, um, does the dog deal with that or the people? 
never the dog never did a conservation dog chloe never engages in the in the, ah, the animal never. okay that's the a good dog answer. the dog the conservation dog indicates where the animal is yep um be it a bit of endangered species and then the scat might be taken or the egg might be taken for breeding or, you know, the bird might be observed. Mm-hmm. If it's a feral animal, uh, cat or fox or, or rabbit, the animal is dispatched in a, in a quick, humane manner. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're just there to be the ones that point the nose and say, this is where it is, whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Put your effort, put your effort here because this is where the rabbit is or where yes. the, where the um, where the animal is, and this is where you should concentrate, and that saves a lot of time and a lot of effort, and it always gets yeah. the result. That, that, that oh. is well, what a successful project! And um, yeah. before we skip to Africa, what are the other uses in Australia specifically that that you've done? We mentioned some before. Um, mm. well, like, mm. and actually, another question I had was, um, how, what are your thoughts about the endangered animals in Australia becoming extinct? All the little um, you know, marsupials and rodents and the threat of the feral cat. Um, and there's talk about a, a fence line being built and, you know, just what's your take on that issue and how maybe your skills could help that area? Well, well, well cats are a major issue in this country, a, a, a dramatic problem in this country, um, mm. and so is Fox as well as land clearing and, and not looking after our natural environment. But, but the cat and the fox have caused havoc in this country, particularly with our smaller marsupials. Mm. And there must be a, a national plan to eradicate those animals out of our country. Um, certainly one, one way is uh, an organisation called Australian Wildlife Conservancy do a fantastic job by Yes. making um, big big areas and putting feral-proof fences around it to give the animals a chance to survive the, the, the native animals. And I think that's a great idea. But I think, generally speaking, in the long term, we have to come to a point where we have to decide, do we want fox and cat in this country or do we want feral uh, or do we want our native animals in this country? And the decision has to be made from high up. Mm-hmm. And that has to be followed through, just like they did at Macquarie. Yep. The decision was made that we have to eradicate the rabbit off this island. Yep. It was done, and the island now is good. So there's got to be some pretty hard decisions, I believe, made by the governments, uh, both federal and state level, and we have to spend some money and, and save our native animals because Australia has the most unique native animals in the world, and if we're not careful, we can lose them within... Mm. years to 20 years maybe 10 years train toad is another problem spreading all the time yes um and we we have to make decisions that are going to affect us because all these introduced species that do cause havoc in our place Mm. in our state in our country Mm. yeah it's um quite frightening the devastation and you know with cats in particular just that crossover of them being domestic pets as well and Mm. needing to have real reinforcement in desexing domestic pets um, by a certain age and getting them registered. Yeah, well, that's, that's an issue, but I think, yeah. I think particularly with cats and dogs, I think that it boils down to this. I think, um, and, 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 and cat, first of all, cats have got to have, got to become under the same rules as dogs. They are not allowed off your property. If you've got to keep a cat, it must be on your property. Right. Not allowed out. Yep. Not allowed out. You must have a, an enclosure for your cat or keep it inside. And if it's outside, it's against the wall. That's the first thing I think mm-hmm. that would, would 
There are certain islands around Australia now and certain areas in Australia now where you can't have cats, and that, that's probably a sensible idea. But I think, first and foremost, all of us, um, veterinarians, mm-hmm. uh, owners of cats, all of us have got to come to an agreement and say cats have to be, have the same rules and regulations as dogs. They have to be microchipped, uh, desexed at the right time of their age, of course, and kept inside so they cannot cause havoc with our native animals. Mm-hmm. That would be something that I would fight for to the end of time. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll join you on that because I think it's a, a brilliant idea. <laughs> we'll start it here. Um, there so, <laughs> we can start here on your program. There go we on. go. Everyone can can listen and witness. Um, mm. So what is your upcoming Africa trip about? That sounds terribly exciting. I want to know more. Well, it is. Africa is... Uh, I'm going to Zimbabwe and um, they've asked me to go over there to a, a, a big um, rhinoceros. Um, reserve um, and, and um, resort, I suppose, where people can come and look at the native animals of Africa, rhinoceros, elephant, leopard, all these wonderful creatures, mm. with their cameras, not with their guns, yes. with their cameras. But unfortunately, um, in some countries, the rhinoceros horn, for whatever reason that I cannot understand, has this cultural myth of certain aspects of what it can do. So mm. rhinoceros are being slaughtered um, and taken down. So we're going to we're going to go over there and we're going to train dogs to uh, track uh, these these people who want to kill them as, a, as the poacher, and we're going to train the dogs to track them to find out how they're getting in and what they're doing, and then also uh, hopefully to let us know where they are so they can be captured and be uh, taken to the law and be looked at in mm. that manner because. The other thing I think that is important too is that to try and educate the African uh, uh, people that have got these wonderful assets, and they are fantastic assets, um, that it's better to take a photograph of the of the of the rhinoceros and a photograph of the elephant yeah. and get people to pay for it, absolutely, because that's good for the economy and all, and, and give people's jobs. But instead of hurting them and shooting them. Mm. Uh, is to take photos of them and to see them in the wild, and, and that's something that I would like to foster as foster as well to yeah. to, to use the asset as a, as a really good means of of in, in getting countries in Africa to see what the asset is. Yeah. So, but first of all, Chloe, we're going to stop them from killing them, and yeah. that's going to be my job in the next uh, twelve months or so. Wow! And so, is the dog going to be detecting the rhino horn or detecting poacher people? Um, both. 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 So how both. can they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How would they get the smell of a poacher as opposed to like another human? Will they get like a poacher smell? Uh, <laughs> well, well, the dog won't. The, the dog will be trained to to come across a human scent, and when the dog does come across a human ah, scent, and yes. there's not supposed to be any human scent in that area, ah, yeah. the dog will crack it. And yeah. there better be a really good excuse why you're there, because you're if there. you're not there, you're going to get in a lot of trouble by the yeah. law. Yeah, actually, my mum and I, a couple of years ago, were in Botswana, <laughs> where they are allowed to shoot to kill if they see anyone mm. within a certain range of, like, they don't mess around, and it was, mm. um, they had bodyguards for these different rhinos, just sort of around them, not up close, but just mm. keeping an eye on them, and I thought that's, um, almost had like a sea shepherd kind of mentality towards, you know, you know, just don't mess, which was good. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I suppose at some point, um, if we don't have that mentality with with our fox and cat and our poacher, and you know, mm. generally speaking, in this this mentality, 
Yeah. We won't have no rhino. Yeah. We won't have no elephant. And we, we won't have no in, native animals in this country as well. We've, I think at some point we've just got to say enough is enough. Yeah. Don't cross the line. Here are the rules. If you want to play the game, you've got to stand, you've got to play by the rules. And yeah. um, shoot to kill is a, <laughs> is a very big rule. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but, but if you know the rules and you cross the line, well, then you've got to take the yeah. consequences as well, and I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. And and word of mouth, that, that message would spread and it would put a lot of poachers off. Um, it would scare the living daylights out of me, Chloe. <laughs> yes, likewise. So are there other people like you with this skill, trying to educate um, Africa in particular with their industry? Uh, look, I, I, there's a lot, a hell of a lot more people, much more um, educated in, 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 in this area than I am. Hmm. Uh, my my skill set is at this point present time is to train dogs for the tracking purposes but uh, yep. um, in the longer, longer term I'd, I'd also like to be able to um, be involved in, in getting uh, the African people to really see that there is a much better it's a much better reason to keeping the animals alive than yeah. letting them be killed and I think that that is a long-term, yeah. proactive way of saving animals. Because if you can put a, uh, a, 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 a an amount of, of money and say, look, if this elephant is alive, it's going to be worth a lot more money than it's dead. Well, then mm. obviously that lot more effort is going to be put into keeping it alive. And we've got to get that into them. So tourism and taking photographs and, and seeing them in the wild yep. it's got to be you've got to pay for it and i don't have any objections to that but it, it's going to put um it's going to keep, keep those wonderful animals alive and that's what we've got to think think about in, in the in the years to come I, I believe i think so too and i guess the other issue is the fact that these poachers have an individual mindset versus a group mindset in that you know one rhino horn could be the all the money they need for the rest of their life um but it's all for them um so they sneak in at night and you know and i guess these people might want to buy medicine for their sick mother or fund their children's school or you know that rhino horn means a lot to them and it could be all for them yeah and it's an interesting concept that you say yeah i have no i have no i have no hatred for any animal or any person for that matter yeah and and with the feral cat and the feral fox that cat and fox has a right in itself to go and get something to eat Mm. right now it's got young to feed and it's and it's got to survive and so for the animal to go out there and and take that um, native animal out. I mean, the fox doesn't know. It's a, it's a very endangered species. It's got to live. Yes. You and I did. It's just doing it. Yeah, exactly. So we're it's complex, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's doing it. But what, what we've got to do with the poacher is, 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 is educate the poacher to say, if you take a guy around with a camera and let him take a picture of the rhino yep. and be a guide or something like that, yeah. you're going to get double the amount of money that you get for, for killing the rhinoceros oh, yeah. and taking a swan off. <laughs> yeah. That, I think, is the key to survival. We've got to make it worthwhile and there's no for risks. those coaches to do something else. Yeah, you, you can survive to be there for your family. Um, you're not putting yourself at risk. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant um, way around it. It's a um, complex issue, and I'm glad you're going out there. Have you been out before? Yeah, I've got dogs in Namibia for cheetah conservation, and I was talking to Namibia. Because uh, actually, I've been there too, Cheetah Conservation Fund. 
That's it. Yes. CCF. Yeah. Yes, CCF. With Dr. Laurie Marshall. Yeah, That's I've got right. two dogs out there. Uh, and they do cheetah scat, find a cheetah scat and help, you know, conserve the cheetah. Yes. But this next job is in Zimbabwe. And yep. um, I'm really looking forward to going there and I'm very excited about it and, and, uh, and helping oh, wow. in oh, any wow. way I can. But we, um, while, while I'm on your program, we do need um, probably some funding at some stage yes. for the training of the dogs. So maybe I'll talk to you more about that when, uh, when we decide how many dogs we need and so Oh, on. yes, absolutely. Um, we'd love to help you out with that. Um, and Good. it it just sounds pretty pretty endless the applications to what you have. And do you contact people or they contact you? It's sort of both ways. No, no, they 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 contact me. I'm, 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 <laughs> sought after man. <laughs> but no, they they contact me and yeah. um, and I think. What it boils down to is that they they probably see um, the success that we've had in in, in yeah. other fields and yeah. and and they say to me you know well, what yeah. can you do here and I'll, I'll talk to them and yeah it's it's a very um, it's a very I'm in a very good position in my life at the moment yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old that's the problem I wish I was <laughs> twenty years thirty years younger and I could do it all but oh, you don't yeah. get the knowledge and you don't get the knowledge and the experience until you get to an elderly age or an older <laughs> age or whatever you know and you've then, mastered you know, your skill but I'm yeah. fitting well and I've got a few years left so I'm going to give it a, a really good crack and 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 try and make this worthwhile I really am oh wonderful and do you train people when you're there on how to train dogs as well so that they have absolutely. the skill yeah, yeah so, so sh- I'll, I'll i'll get the dogs ready in sydney yeah i'll take them to africa and then we'll spend a, a amount of time training the handlers and the dog and training yep. the handlers with the same dogs but i'd like to make sure the dogs are up to scratch before they leave mm-hmm. that way i know that they're not going to have any dramas when they get there yeah so that's the, that's the way i do it. Yeah. yeah how many dogs do you have Personally, yeah, or you, or in, or I that have, you I work. Have, oh, well, personally, I have I have a, a working cocker, and I have two working spaniels and a German shepherd. So uh-huh. I have four dogs, and I have a Jack Russell that I share with my wife. Yeah, and my wife's got two border collies. They're our own dogs. Okay. Oh wow. Trained for different environments. Yeah. Mm. Okay, lovely. And then um, then you've got your working dogs. How many have you got there? Well, at the moment, there's a truffle dog called Maka. His father is interesting because his father was one of the Macquarie Island dogs. So oh, okay. We called we called the pup Maka, and he's going to Tasmania for truffles. And <gasps> at the present, I've just trained Molly. She's in the field, and I've just trained a little dog, a big dog called Kitty, another spaniel. Yep. And she's working. Um, she does um, carcass finding under the. Uh, wind turbines, uh, oh. so she's doing a lot of work for conservation. Wow. Um, and then we got two weed dogs, did a weed dog, German Shepherd weed dog in Tassie last week, and got two weed dogs, two hawk weed dogs working. So they sniff um, out the weeds couple, and then we and then we dig up the weeds and we just keep going through the environment cleaning it up? Is that how it works? Yeah, well <laughs> that's, yeah, the hawk weed is a very nasty weed because hawk weed is probably a bigger threat to this country, or equally a bigger threat to the country than rabbit uh, right. was. Yeah. And it sterilizes the soil and kills all the other plants around it. So you can just imagine that. So we've got to get that plant out it's out of the country. It's in the alpine areas yeah. of the space. So we've got dogs now finding that. And they're doing a really, really, really good job. I mean, we've got a little working spaniel called Connor. And we've got a little copper spaniel called Sally. And uh, they're doing a great job for Parks and Wildlife New South Wales. Oh, wow. Wow. You've got a nice team there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
and I guess you have to rotate and keep them all trained up, and yeah, you, your work yeah, is there. That's right. Well, the handlers are trained to do that, and then yep. you know we can I consult with the handlers after they go out and and do it. So ah, good. Uh, we've got dogs finding endocondus now. Um, got dogs finding um, a little little animal called the smoky mouse, which was thought to be extinct, and wow. and. Uh, it, they found it, so that's really good. So wow. a lot of dogs out there working for all different environments, uh, organisations. So it's a, it's a really good feeling, and really good feeling. Yeah, I bet. And pretty much, they can track down anything as long as they can smell it. So you can, there's no scent that they can't not find. Um, I used to think there was. Now, now I don't think there is. I think they can find just about anything that we ask them to find. Wow, wow. And 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 the thing that convinced me was hawkweed. Hawkweed was a it's a very inconspicuous plant. It's a nothing scent and nothing looking. It's just an ordinary. You wouldn't if you didn't know exactly what it looked like. You wouldn't have a hope. Mm. And dogs are finding this under snow. They're finding <laughs> it under cover. They're finding it in oh my around goodness. you know all, everywhere, all the different environments. Wow, that it's nose of theirs. Just, yeah. That's it's very, very, very good. Yes. <laughs> and so are you, is your skill being learnt by others to continue your unique and important work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a good. colleague, um, a young man called Ryan Tate. He's, he's doing very well. He's an excellent trainer in his own right. But yes. we're, we're working together now. And I've got some other people that are interested. But um, the thing is, too, Chloe, you, you can't become a good dog trainer just overnight you've got to you've got to, mm. do, you've got to do the courses you've got to get educated and you've got to get practical experience and yeah. when you wrap all that up then you and, and you spend a few years in the paddock yeah you know falling over getting hot getting cold going you know, sleeping in minus 20 degrees and working in 42 43 degrees you've got to do your, your apprenticeship first you can't just walk into this field you yeah you've really got to you know it's like you as a veterinarian you you don't just leave <laughs> university and become the best. Oh, it's You've quite the undertaking. <laughs> yes, um, but I'm glad that you know you're sharing your knowledge and because um, you know it, it's certainly a skill we want to hold on to. And what does the future hold for you, Steve? Just more of, um, as you say, I'm going to I'm going to really concentrate on Africa now and 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 do my best with uh, rhino and elephant. I really am very 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 um, keen on that. I also want to work on extremely endangered species in this country mm-hmm. and then i want to get go into education run courses um, my wife and i run courses now and really start to educate the up-and-coming mm. people on the science and the skill set with canine training because it is a skill it is and it is also an art form and we've got to yeah. mix this the science with the art form yep. you cannot have one without the other you've got to be passionate Yep. You've got to be fit and strong. You've got to love your dog, love getting up early and love walking and love doing hard work. But you've also got to have a very strong and clear science-based idea on operant conditioning and classic conditioning and, and negative positive reinforcements and all those situations that really do occur in, in training. So add all that together and there's a big, um, there's a big career out there for the, for the right people. Mm, that sounds really exciting. And you've got a brilliant website. And actually, I am going to flick um, your wife an email about the puppy instructor training because I think that interests me. Um, so, so you, you know, I see so many badly behaved animals day after day after day. I do think that, um, yeah, the skill that you guys have would be great to share amongst everybody. And 
yeah, you've got a brilliant website. Is that where you'll share how we could help you in the future with different funding? Oh, yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Please, please. I'm going I'm to go to... Um, I leave next Sunday to, yep. to go to Africa. I'll be there for a couple of weeks. I'll be interviewing the handlers and I'll be interviewing, making sure the kennel construction for the dogs is all good. I want everything perfect, you know. Yes. But then, then we've got to get the dogs over there and that's where we need the funding. But I'll, uh, I'll yeah. certainly contact you. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'll bring some pictures home for you so you can, um, and, uh, and I'll take some pictures and send them to you. Oh, it sounds so good. Put them on your website and have a look. And yeah. I'll get as many as I can out there. Yep. And then we can start seriously thinking yep. about uh, how we're going to raise some money to help these animals in Africa. Yeah, this is how it works. And um, I'll share your website in the show notes for this podcast. And... You know, to wrap up, Steve, I'll ask you, how do you stay inspired? Because <laughs> I believe in the wild, the wildness of this earth should never be lost. Mm-hmm. But in, your, in the spirit of the human being and, and what we see out there. But if we become to let's dial up and get a pizza type attitude, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and don't think and only think about what's on a screen and only think about what's good for me, we're gonna lose it. So I get inspired because I get out there every day. I saw a sunset at my place today. Oh. It's the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen for a long time. I took a picture of it actually and sent it to my one of my daughters. Yeah. And that inspires me. I don't want to ever see that go. So I want to keep it in people's hearts and I want to keep it in people's minds and I want to keep it in people's business. And like I said earlier, um, you've got to give it a crack, Chloe. You Mm. can't just wake up in the morning and go, oh, um, what another day. You've got to wake (laughs) up in the morning and go, right, how can I make this a better day? And that's what I do in my life. Yeah. Oh, Steve, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, chatting to you and picking your brain a bit. It's been wonderful to learn what you've been up to for many, many years and decades. And I wish you all the best and let's stay in touch. Love to. Thank you for your time, Chloe. Have a wonderful week. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Steve. Thanks, Chloe. Bye. Peace, Bye. Thank you for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed being a part of me and Steve's conversation and that you have learnt many new things and been inspired by his work. I have been absolutely blown away. What an enthusiastic and dynamic conservationist making change. Relevant links are in the show notes. Just scroll up in the podcast app or go to my website, betchloe.com. And if you like the show, I would be most grateful if you could tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It all helps or follow me on Instagram at VetChloe. Next episode, I will have finished my time here at the Australian Veterinary Association Annual Conference in Perth, Western Australia, where I have been going to a range of interesting lectures, including those on small animal medicine, animal behavior, conservation biology, as well as other interests. During the conference, I interviewed Dr. Alison Peel on her conservation work involving the Australian flying fox, the interactions between their ecology, land use change, and the Hendra virus. If intrigued, listen in. Till then, stay kind, and I'll see you at the next stop.